Hello, welcome to the Basketball Soapbox, episode 11. In this episode, I'll be going over games 1 and 2 of the NBA Finals. I'm looking at the differences I'm seeing between the both teams, the Warriors and the Celtics, uh, over the first two games. Um, my love-hate relationship with Draymond Green over the course of this series and his career. Um, also, the reaction to the Lakers hiring Darvin Ham as their new head coach. I've watched a couple of interviews with him and... and, and Going to give my reaction to that, as well as Quinn Snyder stepping down to Utah Jazz and what's next for the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the NBA Finals. We've got the Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Boston Celtics reached here in a surprising sweep over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, a, a battle against the Milwaukee Bucks in seven. And another battle against Miami Heat in seven, which was a thriller of a series. Um, Golden State got here by defeating the MVP Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, an entertaining series against the Memphis Grizzlies. And a hopeful series against the... Uh, Dallas Mavericks that we thought would be competitive with Luka, but just not enough there. Um, and this series so far has been a, a, a tale of what quarter do you want to win in? Um, the, the Golden State Warriors have been great in the third quarter, and that seems to be um, their calling card throughout their whole uh, dynasty run here. Um, they're a big-time third-quarter team. If you're not ready after the half, and that's been the, the proven uh, uh, recipe for them, in game one they did that. Uh, they weathered the storm there, um, outscoring the Celtics 38-24 to 24 in the third quarter. But the Celtics storm backed in game one, um, locking down defensively, um, getting great ball movement, great scoring by Jalen Brown, um, great effort from the Boston Celtics overall in a big-time game from Al Horford in game one. Um, he finished with 26, but to really turned it on in the second half, uh, where he had 18 points in the second half of that game. And really propelled the Celtics to a big time win in game one, 120 to 108. And over the course of that game, um, Steph Curry got off to a historic start, uh, scoring 21 points in the first quarter. I believe that's the most points scored, uh, since Michael Jordan in 92, I believe. Um, since that, uh, I believe the most points since Michael Jordan in the, in the quarter. Um, he was impressive getting off to a hot start in that game. Um, he was on fire from three. Uh, the Celtics were playing drop coverage, uh, uh, really hurting them in that regard. And I think the Celtics' defense, especially their big men, and, and especially when they went to their second unit, were just getting lost in that coverage there off the pick and rolls that the Warriors run. Um, and, and drop coverage against Steph Curry, that's a layup to him in this league. We've seen him do it for over a decade. Um, knock down open threes. Uh, for the Celtics to do that early on, it was very alarming. Um, very, uh, not the, not what you want to see as a Celtics fan, uh, Steph Curry had getting walk-in threes. <laughs> um, you definitely don't want to see that. Uh, but over the course of this game, I thought what was very impressive was, uh, of course the Celtics defense stepping up and, and making adjustments, stepping up and, and forcing Curry, um, off the ball there and, and, and getting him out of there and also forcing him into foul trouble. He had three fouls in the first, the first half and that kind of slowed him down. He didn't score in the second quarter. Um, but what stood out to me in the, the first half here was uh, Jason Tatum's playmaking. He had seven assists in the first half of game one. 
Um, that was very telling. Um, his playmaking, able to find guys hitting Tice early in the second quarter. Um, and just finding guys able to knock down shots. Derek White was big time in this game early on. Jalen Brown had it going. Marcus Smart was knocking down some threes. Al Horford had eight. So you just got a little uh, a collective effort from the Boston Celtics early on. And, and that kept the game close for the Boston Celtics with a 56-54 lead going into halftime. And then the Warriors opened up the third quarter as expected. Um, Andrew Wiggins stepped up in the quarter with 12 points. Um, and they pushed the lead to a big-time lead. Now the Warriors were able to push it up to 15 uh, to a score of 87 to 72 there. Um, the Celtics were able to close it down to 12 uh, uh, to end the quarter there to 92 to 80. And it just felt like the Celtics just couldn't get right. And then all of a sudden Jalen Brown caught fire. Um, really started off the quarter really good. Um, really off to a hot start. Uh, had 10 in the quarter. But um, Al Horford, the story was, the story was Al Horford. Um, him battling on the boards there, um, playing tough defense down low, um, and just knocking down a bunch of threes. He was six for eight. That's a career high for him in that in in his career in the playoffs, and I think in a game high ever. Um, so for him to come out that and give and give that big time performance for the Celtics um, was big time in his first career playoff game. Um, Jalen Brown set the tone there in the fourth quarter, getting the Celtics back on track. And, and that was really big time for the Celtics who needed it, needed a spark on the road. Um, and really just, just took advantage of, of the ball movement and, and, and getting the Warriors in bad rotations and knocking down shots. That was big time for them. They outshot the, the Warriors in three-pointers, 21 to 19, I believe. And, and you get that over the Warriors, which says that's their shooting game. That's what they do. Um, for them to do that, that's that was very impressive in game one to shut down uh, uh the Warriors like that, who are usually the, the, the ones who are running up the score and shutting out and shutting down games early in the third quarter and not and shutting it down in the fourth, really, really getting it out of the way. Um, for the Celtics to turn around and outscore the Warriors 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter, that's 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 insane. <laughs> we I don't think we've ever seen a Warriors team get outscored like that or play that bad. Um at home, um, I know this is the the Chase Center now in San Francisco, and it's not an Oracle. Uh, that was one of the big things I felt that would be a deciding factor. I, I felt like the the ruckus crowd in Oracle is not the same as it is in San Francisco, um, and that and I felt like that played a part there. Um, but the Celtics defense really stepped up and were very attacking, getting into the lane, finding open guys for shooters, and the Celtics knocked down shots. When the Celtics don't turn over the ball, they only had twelve in this game. Uh, they're very tough to beat, and they're able to knock down shots and take care of the ball, and that was a big thing heading into this series. Um, both of these teams are both high-profile turnover teams in the playoffs. Um, the Warriors are more proven than the Celtics, so that was a big time for the Celtics to get that one underneath their belt in Game 1 and take the 120-108 to victory. Um, but impressive, I thought, was, of course, Jalen Brown setting the tone there, getting the Celtics back on track when it looked like they were losing grips on the game, down 12, entering the 4th. Um, Al Horford stepping up with big threes. Uh, Derek White, <laughs> well, since the birth of his daughter, who I think was what game six against the Bucks or game five against the Bucks or something like that, and for him to come out there ever since then, he's been a, a flame flamethrower from three. Um, he knocked down five of eight threes in this game. Uh, Marcus Smart knocked down four of seven, and it was just a, a great showing from the, the collective group of the Celtics. Um, and the, even in this game, Jason Tatum had a terrible shooting game, terrible shooting game. Um, but to sit there and see him get 13 assists the most 
in the in the finals debut uh, since Michael Jordan and John Stockton. I believe they both had twelve. Um, for Jason Tatum to come out there and and pass and and get other guys involved and continue to do that against this Warriors team. That was awesome to see. Um, you just saw his development with playmaking. It's like, all right, even though he's not going to, even in those games where he's struggling offensively, he's still able to find his guys um, and even get to the line. He had he shot seven free throws in this game. But to just have that balance and not really shoot the Celtics out, he had a lot of good looks, a lot of good looks that just weren't falling. Um, and you didn't think he was going to re- replicate that again. Um, I'll get to that in game two. But um, the Warriors just not matching basically thinking the game was over it felt like um in game one and you're just sitting there like wow and for the celtics to go into go into the chase center uh, against the warriors who are a finals team and get game one like that and now they say the easiest game to steal is game one um but for the celtics to do that against the warriors who probably one of the best offensive teams ever um and to one of the best defensive teams in the league as well um to come in there and do that against that that was big time and we saw some tinkering from the Warriors in this game. Um, Andre Iguodala was out there for 12 minutes, even though he was hitting shots. The the, the Celtics were leaving him open. Um, Otto Porter Jr. got in the game, and he was big time from three, knocking down a bunch of shots. But it just seemed like they, the, the Warriors just couldn't get it going, continue this pace that Curry set in the first quarter. Um, Jordan Poole had a, had a bad night in game one, two for seven from the field, and when you're not getting that overall production from the Warriors, especially from three, to outmatch the Celtics, it's like, wow. There's definitely a different uh, game and story. Um, Peyton Pritchard, I thought, played well for the Celtics getting in there, um, making some big-time shots. He made a couple threes in the fourth quarter, um, made some good passes there as well. Um, and the Celtics just battled back and got into it and, and kind of blindsided the Warriors in this game. Um, just a big-time win. That was a good feeling. Um that was just awesome to see the Celtics just go in there and just kind of stun the world and kind of put the the Warriors, the league, on notice in game one. Um, that was just awesome to see. However, game two happened. And started off well. I thought this game was getting into a very good rhythm. Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum got off to great starts. Um, 13 in the first quarter, a piece from them, basically carrying the Celtics. Um they were only down one after the first quarter. Uh, Steph Curry had a, a nice, decent showing early. Uh, and just to come out there, and, and, and he had 10 in the first quarter. Uh, but overall, it was just the Celtics battling with Derek White also stepping up again in the first half. Um, Jason Tatum continuing his offensive performance, really wanted to change the 3-for-17 uh, performance he had in the first game, and he was all on his way to doing that. He had 21 in the first quarter. I mean, not in the first half, sorry. Uh, Jalen Brown chipped in with 15, and you just saw the Celtics. It was basically their two stars going against the Warriors. And the Warriors had uh, Andrew Wiggins step up. Uh, Steph Curry had 15 in the first half. And you're just sitting here looking at this tail of the game, and then it's like, I just noticed how the Celtics weren't uh, getting others involved early in the game. Uh, A lot of guys, it was really just Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown creating uh, their own shot, uh, trying to find guys, but often having to do things on mano a mano. Uh, the Warriors changed up their defense, uh, staying closer to the shooters, uh, taking away some things there, um, keeping Al Horford uh, basically silent in the first half. He had zero points in the first half. I think he finished with two. I think him, Smart, 
and Grant Williams all finished with two points. I think uh, I think Grant had six points. Uh, it was just bad for the Celtics um, outside of Brown and Tatum. Um, and you saw that over the course of this game that the Celtics just weren't able to get other guys involved. Um, really, uh, the Warriors stifling defense, really stepping up their effort, contesting everything, uh, taking away uh, shooters and making them dribble. And, and, and the Celtics really shot themselves in the foot in this game. Really turning over the ball, um, just crazy. And and even in the first half, uh, the first quarter, they had seven turnovers. Um, the Celtics have had issues with ball control, handling the ball over the course of these playoffs. And just to sit there and see this still happening, um, Marcus Smart threw two terrible passes early, and it was just like, oh no. Uh, Jason Tatum got into some uh, turnover trouble there, and it was just like, how are we going to battle the Warriors, who are hungry? After a game one performance, which was a dud for them, especially in the second half, well, the fourth quarter, and just to sit there and see them, the Celtics give away easy, uh, easy buckets to the Warriors in transition. I believe the Warriors had what thirty four points off eighteen turnovers from the Celtics. That's terrible for the Celtics. That's really really bad, especially against a Warriors team where you don't want to give them extra opportunities. And again, the Warriors blitzed them in the third quarter. Um, Steph Curry got on fire, um, knocking down threes. He had 14 in, in the third quarter. Uh, Jordan Poole was able to hit, knock down a couple threes, a big three, uh, uh, I believe, to push the lead up to what twenty some odd points uh, to end the third quarter. And it was just, it was just the Celtics just knew they couldn't get back in the game. <laughs> they came out flat, and the the, the Warriors came instantly and in and in started the fourth quarter on a six zero run. Um, the Warriors won this game 107 to 88. Um, and the Celtics just at halftime were only down what? Two points. They were down two points, 52 to 50. And for them to get blown out the rest of the game is just, it's, it's very sad to see as a Celtics fan. Um, over the course of the game, you saw Jason Tatum basically have a better game offensively, offensive wise, um, but just fell out of it and had a minus 36, which was the worst of his career, I believe, at. As a Celtic, and I think one of the worst performances in finals history in terms of a, a blowout, in terms of a, a not able to keep things afloat for the Celtics. Um, he finished with 28. Jalen Brown had 17. But the Celtics were rushing, defeating themselves. Um, a lot of turnovers, a lot of bad shots. Um, Brown and Tatum, once things started slipping a little bit, they started forcing their shots, uh, stopped trying to get other guys involved. But it just seemed like the Celtics... Uh, just didn't have it tonight. Um, Derek White tried to chip in, but it was just too much, too too fast for the uh, Celtics there. Um, the, the Golden State Warriors did a fantastic job, especially defensively. Uh, Draymond Green uh, stepping up his defensive intensity, uh, uh, being an irritant basically, being what he has been his whole career, a guy that's going to junk up the game, create effort plays, uh, get guys off their games. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think the big difference for the Warriors was uh, sitting down um, Andre Iguodala and bringing in Gary Payton II. Uh, he's been out most of the playoffs, I believe, since the Memphis series, uh, since he had that uh, fractured elbow. He was able to come back. Um, he knocked down a three with a chipped elbow. Uh, that was the story of it. <laughs> Everyone was like, he has a chipped elbow, and he's shooting the ball like that. He, he made a three in the game. Um, but his defense, what he did defensively on Tatum and Brown, um, especially even on offense with the the pick and roll with Curry. Um, 
I thought that helped out. The The Warriors really simplified things on offense. Uh, a simple uh, high pick and roll with Curry. Curry getting the mismatch. And he was able to take advantage of that, especially in the, the third quarter. Um, but the defense of the Warriors, uh, a lot more effort from them in the uh, second game than we saw over the first game. A lot of more contest on those subtle uh, uh, shooters, uh, not leaving them open, um, not gearing everything towards uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And in this game, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown weren't really able to beat their guys off the dribble to create those mismatches in the paint when they're driving and hitting the shooters. That just wasn't there. Uh, Tatum a couple times tried to dribble uh, past Belisa. Um, and he just couldn't do it. And, and Brown tried to dribble across a uh, pass, uh, Draymond Green and couldn't do it. Um, and that was something that was different from game one where the Celtics were able to exploit those mismatches, get into the lane, find open guys, uh, and, and not turn over the ball. Uh, in this game, it was just the complete opposite. Um, the Warriors did better jobs of trapping, especially on the sidelines, getting Jalen Brown to cough up the ball a little bit, getting Jason Tatum to cough up the ball a little bit. Um, and that was the difference. The Warriors responded in game two, um, shot the ball better, had more balance am- amongst their team. Um, but this game was Draymond Green's game. Um, I was sick of Draymond Green over the course of this game. <laughs> Absolutely sick. I was watching the game with my girl, and she's like, who is that? I'm like, it's Draymond Green. At one point early in the game, he tackled Grant Williams, literally, you can find it on YouTube. He does a swim move, playing like an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman in the NFL. Did a swim move, buried his head into Grant Williams, and then tackled Grant Williams to the floor. And the offensive foul goes toward, no, the defensive foul goes towards Grant Williams when it should have been an a offensive foul against Draymond Green. And then be, he, I, I think he had another battle with Smart. He knocked down Smart at one point. There was no call. Um, uh, the big time uh, foul that we all thought that should have been another technical. He got a technical on the the Grant play going forward. I thought he should have got another technical against Brown towards the end of the the second quarter. There, uh, Brown shot a three. Draymond Green fouled him and then landed over over on Jalen Brown. Um, some are saying Jalen Brown pulled him. I'm saying that Draymond Green went into him and. They basically fell on the floor. Draymond Green had his legs over Jalen Brown. And Jalen's trying to get up. And Draymond pushes him in his back, first of all. It's unnecessary contact in the NBA in this day and age. He gets up. Jalen's looking at him. And then Draymond Green, as he gets up, pulls down on Jalen Brown shorts. And it's like, okay, so how much is Draymond Green going to be able to get away with? And he was able to get away with everything all night. And once they didn't give him that second tech, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he was running the ruck shot over the Boston Celtics. And I thought in the first half, he should, he could have had four fouls. He could have had four or five fouls early the way he was playing. He was playing so physical, and they were letting him get away with a lot. Um, it was crazy. It, it was just flat-out crazy um, to see him do that in – irritate the whole Celtics fan base, me included, <laughs> irritate the whole Celtics team. I believe he was cussing at Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was going at him. 
Jalen Brown was going at him. Grant Williams was going at him. Marcus Smart to a certain degree. Ime Yadoka picked up a tech. <laughs> That's how sick the Boston Celtics were with Draymond Green. And now, let's get something straight. Draymond Green, is he a franchise player? Probably not. Is he uh all-time all-star and offensive uh, uh, guru? Of course not. But what he brings to the Golden State Warriors... Is high-level defense, able to rotate, call out other teams' plays. Uh, he's a point forward on offense, finding Curry and the shooters, Clay Thompson getting guys in the right spots, able to push and transition, and just able to, his best quality, is able to get underneath another team's skin. That's what he does. He's energized about him for that team. He's not Steph Curry. He's not going to lead a team offensively. But what he does in, in tandem with a team, in hand with a team, Pays dividends, and we saw it in game two. Whatever you think about Draymond Green, however annoying you think he is, what he did in game two, you need a guy like that on your team. For the Celtics, it's Marcus Smart. Um, other teams have other guys. Back in the day, it was Vernon Maxwell for the Rockets. Uh, uh, Tony Allen for the Celtics. Tony Allen for the Grizzlies. Um, a bunch of guys like that throughout NBA history. Um, Dennis Rodman for the Pistons and the Bulls. You need somebody who's going to gunk up the game. You need somebody who's going to do something, push the envelope a little bit, and for the Warriors to have that on the team and to respond that way with Draymond Green, that is very, 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 very important. And and he showed that in game two. He showed that in game two. After a bad performance in game one, I believe he was two for 12 and just wasn't himself. Uh, for him, he was two for three this game, seven assists, five rebounds. His numbers are not going to show in the box score. That's the one thing. Same thing with Marcus Smart. Certain nights, Marcus is a is more versatile offensive player than Draymond Green. But when you look at the boss score for Draymond Green, you don't think of anything. It's a triple single. <laughs> Charles Barkley, Joe Alonzo Ball a long time ago. That's a triple single. But for that to happen, he has to do other things that can't show up in the box score. To play defense the way he does, to get underneath the skin the way he does, it pays dividends for the for the Golden State Warriors, and that was a story in game two. Um, and that's just, it's, you can't say enough how impactful he is to the game and especially for the Warriors over this dynasty run. Of course, Curry's the engine. Of course, uh, Clay Thompson is the second guy in command. Uh, they added Jordan Poole this year who has developed over his game. Um, we all know they added Kevin Durant, who's arguably one of the best players in the world, if not considered by most the best player in the world. Um, during those two years, but Draymond Green is vital to this organization, is vital to the game of basketball, and he showed why in game two, as aggravating as he was. Um, the second-round pick coming out of uh, Michigan State uh, uh, worked his way up, uh, defensive player of the year. For him to do that and still be going at this age and, and, and going at this time when people didn't even think he would be um, – in the league and people thought he was going to be out. He worked his way to be one of the best defenders in the league. He's a multiple time all-star, multiple time champ. And that's what he brings to the table. And, and we saw it in game two. I can't speak enough about him, um, his effort and his irritants and his aggravation that he brings. <laughs> it pays dividends in the game of basketball, whether we like it or not. Uh, now let's get into my game three, uh, prediction. Um, I think the Celtics need to continue to try to find other ways to get Jalen Brown and 
Jason Tatum in open space. Um, continue to get other guys involved like Derek White. Maybe try to see if Grant Williams can uh, get going. Um, especially from three, especially from the corners, and, and, and maybe inside the post. Um, I saw that in the Miami series. He was able to get a little bit more uh, activity towards the basket. Um, and the status of uh, Robert Williams. Um, Marcus Smart rolled into his leg. Um, and that really derailed his activity. He was already limping already. Um, to see his health back, he might be his, see his uh, uh, availability in game three and game four. Um, I could see him missing one or two of these game, one of these games, these next coming games, depending how it goes. Um, are the Celtics going to change their lineup between uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford? Are they going to go smaller? Uh, uh, try to use Al Horford the space the floor and maybe attack inside. Uh, and that's another thing the Celtics have to do. They have to uh, uh, work on their finishing around the basket. Um, actually finish the, the play. Uh, don't look for calls. Um, be strong. Be physical going up. Um, and especially getting other guys involved. Um, Derek White was able to step up in game one. Marcus Smart was able to step up. Al Horford in game one. And then the, everything flipped where it was Jason Tatum scoring and Jalen Brown scoring. And it just wasn't enough. They still need those other guys there. The Celtics are going to have to do this collectively, um, especially on defensively. Uh, uh, make the Golden State Warriors feel you with your your force. Um, attack those pick and rolls, uh, uh, going over and playing top. Um, trapping Curry, I think, would be helpful. Um, of course, you don't want to get th- give up threes to Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole, but Curry is making everything happen here. Um, he's the really one stepping up. Uh, uh, offensively for them, and especially having in in in, in burst over the first two games, I'm seeing um, the Celtics have to continue to attack, um, use their size. Uh, they haven't really been able to use their size. The rebounding has been close in this series, which is a surprise to me. I thought the the Celtics would be doing a better job on that. They need to take care of that on in Game Three on Wednesday night. Um, in attack, I, I think getting to the line, getting some of these guys in foul trouble puts other guys on the floor that are not uh, able to hang. I think that was another uh, difference between games one and two. The Celtics starters were able to stay out of foul trouble. In game two, they were in foul trouble. A lot of guys had se- second fouls early on in that game. Um, and that was a difference where the Warriors were attacking there. Um, and for the Warriors, I think what they need to do is kind of find somebody else to get uh, uh, offensively going with Curry. Um, Wiggins has stepped up a little bit here. Poole had a nice game too, um, but they were trying to get Clay Thompson there. He stayed out there in game two a little bit longer, even when as the blowout was, even when the Celtics pulled the starters. Uh, I think Steve Kerr was just trying to leave uh, Clay Thompson out there to find some rhythm offensively. I believe he finished four for nineteen or something like that. Um, they need to figure out ways to get uh, uh, Clay going, get Poole going, get Wiggins going. Um, and get other guys going and on this team. Uh, um, that's going to be vital to help Curry. Um, um, yeah, that's going to be vital for the for the Warriors, um, even though they did tie the series. Um, the Celtics did get the split. That's always something you want to do, especially as a young team. Um, and to do that going into San Francisco against a proven team, uh, a, a per- perennial champion in this league, especially over the last decade, um, to get game one, that's important for the Boston Celtics. Um, they have to take care of home. Um, they haven't been the greatest, um, home team. Yeah, they haven't been the greatest home team over the course of the playoffs. They're five and four at home, but surprisingly eight and three on the road, which is crazy. It's like, if we can just get this at home, um, 
I would love for the Celtics to win the next two games, um, Wednesday night, um, and I believe Friday or Saturday night is the next one. I believe it's Friday night. Um, I would love for the Celtics to win the next two games, um, most likely looking at another split. But if the Celtics can find some way to protect home court and go up 3-1, that's going to be crazy for Boston. Um, and when you think about it, they really just have to win out at home right now. Um, win, win game three and four, maybe drop game five in San Francisco, and then win at home on six. But uh, I think the Celtics, if they go up 3-1, that is great for their confidence, great going in. Um, if they get the split, it's going to get tough. Uh, Golden State knows how to finish out teams. Um, they played in big-time games. And, and we, of course, we have two game sevens um, on the road, uh, one at home and one on the road against Milwaukee. And then we had, we're on the road against Miami in game seven. Um, to, to, we're we're battle-tested, but not to the extent of the Warriors. Um we're going to see how this game plays out. I think the Celtics win game three. Um, I think our intensity is going to have to be a sky high. Um, we're going to have to defend and, and really take advantage and use our athleticism and speed. I think this is a game, even though pace is not a, a, a game you want to play with the Warriors, I think we have to do that in order to create easy opportunities, easy buckets and transition, especially off of stops, and really push. Um, I think that's going to be very, 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 very important. But I think the Celtics do win this game, game three. Now let's get into the Lakers hire of Darvin Ham as their next head coach. Um, Frank Vogel was released of his duties um, as the Lakers failed to make the plan. Um, Darvin Ham was on the Milwaukee Bucks as an assistant this year. Um, he was there with the championship team that was there last year. Um, NBA player uh, played in Milwaukee. Uh, Played, I remember him in Milwaukee, and I remember him in Detroit for that championship run that they had there with the Pistons in 04. Um, role player, a uh, solid guy. Um, had some time as an assistant with the Lakers after Phil Jackson left in the 2011-2012 season. So he has some familiarity with the Lakers, um, dating back almost a decade ago, but was there for that uh, a couple years there. Um, went to Atlanta and then ended up in Milwaukee the past couple years. Um I watched his press conference and things that I've noticed that he said uh, Russell Westbrook is going to have to sacrifice. Um, and that's something that Russ has been able to, sh that's been struggling with over the past couple of years. He's always had those numbers there with the triple doubles and stuff like that. Uh, but I think playing without the ball in his hand, he hasn't been able to show that he can do that over the course of his career. Um, also being a little bit more solid on defense. I don't think he's going to ever get to a, elite level on defensively like he was in early on in OKC where he was gambling and able to get those steals and get into the passing lanes like that. I think he's going to have to be a little bit more solid, at least be at least average for this Lakers team going forward. Um, also, Darvin Ham said Anthony Davis is key. Um, is LeBron going to be willing to pass the keys to Anthony Davis at this point in time, running the offense through him? Um, Anthony Davis being healthy and being the pillar on defense for the Lakers that I think he should be. Um, I think that's going to be something very important looking forward. Uh, how they utilize AD. Is AD going to be able to step up with that? And how is LeBron and Russell Westbrook going to be able to lean on Anthony Davis if they're going to do that, if they're going to relinquish the keys on some nights and let Anthony Davis get it in the post, uh, run more pick and roll, clear out for him to make sure that uh, Anthony Davis can operate. And that's going to be important for the Lakers, especially as personnel. Uh, Darvin Ham said he wanted to run a 4-1. Or four out, one in. Um, 
kind of similar what to uh, Mike Budenholzer does in Milwaukee, um, kind of reminiscent to what uh, Orlando did with Stan Van Gundy with Dwight Howard and Rashad Lewis and all those shooters there in Orlando earlier in the decade, uh, late 2010s there. Um, no, uh, late 2000s there. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how they play with Anthony Davis. I think that's going to be important to how they play. Um, giving the opportunities to LeBron and Russ to create off the dribble, uh, beat their man on a mismatch. Um, and potentially the Lakers are going to have to look at roster-wise. They're going to have to get some more shooters, some more defenders there, some more athletes there. Um, going to be interesting to see how that plays out for them. But uh, the Lakers are also looking at Terry Stotts. Um, he was a coach in Portland. Um, just couldn't get over the hump there with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Also, they were looking at Kenny Atkinson, who I thought did a great job in Brooklyn. Um, just the transition there with KD being out and them, him, them expecting him to be there and just not being there um, really derailed him, and they pretty much got him out of there and brought in the guy that they wanted. But back to Darvin Ham, he's saying all the right things that you're supposed to say as a coach. I want to be defensively sound. I want to create more opportunities for our guys here who have struggled a little bit there. Um especially Russell Westbrook talking to him. Russell Westbrook was there at the press conference introducing um, Darvin Ham. Uh, I thought it was a good hire um, for the Lakers. Uh, they brought in somebody who has been around the championship roster, has a mindset, ha has a little bit more modernized offense there, thinking-wise. Um, and hopefully he said that... Uh, uh, now, I don't want the Lakers to be good by any chance, but he says what you do on both sides of the ball is important. So defense and offense flows together. What you're doing on defense, especially, flows into your offense. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers turn this around um, with the Darvin Ham hire. Um, I thought it was a good hire, uh, considering the candidates. Um, this is somebody who's hasn't had an opportunity. He's a fresh start, fresh voice in this league, rather than having the run of middle coaches that just keep circling around. Um, you were hearing Doc Rivers. People were saying Doc Rivers. People were saying crazy like Nick Nurse in Toronto. Uh, Quinn Snyder, who I'll get into next um, from Utah. Um, all these stories about all these guys, but Darvin Ham seems to be a guy that's going to be able to run his own ship. He's going to be able to pick his own assistant coaches, bring his ideas and, and, and theories to the Lakers. Um, and we're going to see this in the next phase of the Lakers. Uh, this is pretty much the last run of LeBron in L.A., um, is he going to resign? What's he going to do? Um, how's AD going to handle, uh, the, uh, hold up this season? Uh, is he going to be able to stay healthy? Is he going to be, if things aren't going right, is he going to be potentially traded? Um, Russell Westbrook has um, always been on the outs. Uh, has always been in the rumor mill of being traded or, or, or being looked to be moved. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Very interesting to see how that plays out, how the Lakers start the season, who do they add, uh, do they tinker anything? How do they change their play styles, especially with LeBron, Russell, and AD, the big three that are going to have to lead this team? Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I can't wait for the, the start of next season, but we still got the finals going on. Um, how the Lakers are going to draft? Are they going to trade their future draft pick um, that they've been holding on for dear life? Um, yeah, we're going to see how this plays out. Uh, I, I like the hire for the Lakers. Um, and I think this is going to be uh, hopefully something to turn around the Lakers. The league is good when the Lakers are good. As much as I hate the Lakers, as much as I hate their franchise, as much as I trash them, um, the league is better when teams like New York, Lakers, um, Philadelphia. It's good when the league has their big media markets being good 
especially with the rest of the league catching up now with like the Memphises and Clevelands and all these other small market teams and other teams that are able to build through the draft and stuff like that. It's still good to have the big media market teams be good. Um, so hopefully the Lakers are able to turn it around. Um, Russell Westbrook's able to turn it around. LeBron's able to turn it around. Let's see these guys in the playoffs next year. Um, the league is better when they're in the playoffs. So we'll see how Darvin Ham takes over. Um, Seems like he's getting full control there, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, so let's get into this. Uh, Quinn Snyder stepping down from the Utah Jazz. Um, he's been a coach there the past past eight seasons, able to turn it around there, having a 372 wins to 264 losses, uh, 58% winning percentage there um, in Utah. Um, I thought he was one of the best coaches in the league, able to turn around this Utah team that was losing their identity, especially after the Jerry Sloan years, um, and him stepping down. Um, it's not a, it's not reported that he's been fired. He's basically stepping away. Uh, Danny Ainge taking over there, especially with Utah there. He's now the president of basketball operations. They said they desperately tried to bring him back, and he basically wanted out. Um it seems like there's there's too many headaches for this Utah team. Um, over the course of the season, they've been above 500 since his second stint, second year stint there. Uh, his after his second year there, um, they've been above 500. Been a perennial 51 team, winning three, uh, having three 50 plus win seasons, uh, three out of the last five years. So for them to for him to step down, it, it seems like there's just too many headaches there in Utah. Um, and he's turned around this team to be one of the best defensive teams, especially with Rudy Gobert, um, getting uh, Donovan Mitchell there, um, basically uh, developing Donovan Mitchell and getting him going and being a, an all-star and, and, and seeing if he can take that next step there for Utah. Um, but they just haven't been able to get it done. Um, really struggling there, um, losing in the playoffs multiple times, and you're just waiting. Some people have them in the finals, and people just keep – Seeming to wonder what direction Utah is going in, especially with Quinn Snyder just stepping down. Um, the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert beef that's always been underlying. Um, Joe Ingles tore his ACL and got traded to Portland last year. So you're just seeing all these uh, transitions here uh, with Utah, especially in a, in, in a market where it's tough to get free agents. Um, they have to build through the draft. They were lucky enough to get Rudy Gobert. Um, I believe he got drafted by Denver and then traded to Utah on draft night. But to sit there and turn around and get Donovan Mitchell a diamond in the rough for them and basically see the success and then hear all these rumblings of Donovan Mitchell wanting out and and, and, and not uh, uh, being behind the franchise completely 100%. Uh, Rudy Gobert um, is playing the playoffs, even though I don't think he's bad defensively in the playoffs. I think he gets played off and it's definitely difficult for him to recover and contest, especially these in, in, in this today's NBA on the perimeter. Um, I think that's more on the guards there. They have to get better defensive guards. Mike Conley has been in and out, and he has that big contract. Um, so the personnel for Utah pretty much doesn't fit in the playoffs, it looks like, and they just haven't been able to get it done, and Quinn Snyder has basically had enough of that. Um, there's rumblings on Mark Stein had said that Quinn Snyder was looking to take a year off and then potentially take over in San Antonio which I think is a great move for him with Javante Murray down there. Um, being there after Pop, uh, he has familiarity, I believe, with the uh, San Antonio uh, Spurs there. Uh, he coached their G League team, the Toros, I believe. 
uh, for a couple years there. And that's how we got the job in Utah. Um, I believe one of the executives in uh, Utah now was the uh, executive in San Antonio at one point. They have familiarity with each other. Um, so it's interesting to see that uh, play out. Mark Stein reported that that he could be in Utah uh, in San Antonio after Popovich retires, which is another breaking news. Um, depending if, if Popovich retires or whatnot or how that goes. Um, but I think Quinn Snyder is a very good coach. Uh, for him to go to Utah and have that basic uh, foundation there, a little bit more sturdy foundation with drafting and developing and, and team unity, even though with the Kawhi situation. But I think that's better for Quinn Snyder at this point in time rather than being in Utah where they have a lot of uncertainty. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and now what is this in playing for Donovan Mitchell? Uh, there's always been reports of him wanting to go to New York. Um, I think there's some potential avenues that could happen there. You can get Randall. You can get some other guys there. Um, R.J. Barrett would probably be the grab there um, for Utah. Um, trying to get R.J. Barrett, that would probably be ideal for him, for Utah. Um, there's also been rumblings of Tyler Hero going to Utah in terms of a trade and uh, sign and trade there that could potentially happen there with some picks and stuff like that going out. Um, if I'm if you're Philadelphia, do you offer up James Harden for Donovan Mitchell? Is that another move you put with him and Maxi? At least you know you're going to have guys that are going to bring it every night. Um, you'll be undersized as a backcourt, but you have Joel Embiid to lean on there a little bit more offensively and defensively more sound. Um, that's potentially an avenue that. I think Philly should explore, but Daryl Morey has a love affair with uh, <laughs> James Harden there. I, I don't know how that's going to play out. That's another interesting um, avenue. Do you potentially look at uh, Toronto with Anjanobi and, and Pascal Siakam? Um, they play in Toronto. <laughs> Cold weather seems like a shift to Utah where they can build around them and use them. Um, there's some avenues there as well. Uh, do you look at Denver? Uh, potentially Michael Porter Jr. Do you take a risk there if you're Utah in get a guy that's a potential big-time scorer um, and build a team around him. Um, definitely going to be interesting. Um, do you try to get some draft assets? And I think, most importantly, if Utah is going to trade Donovan Mitchell, you got to trade Rudy Gobert. you basically got to tear it down and build it back up, get as many assets as you can um, going forward. I, I think that's the most – if you're going to trade Donovan Mitchell or one or the other, I think – well, if you're going to trade Donovan Mitchell – you got to trade Rudy Gobert. Can you consistently build around Rudy Gobert as a big in this league? I don't think so, especially with his offense. Maybe defensively he can figure it out and, 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 and still be that top-level guy, especially defensively. He's already one of the guys there. What am I talking about? But to sit there and build around Rudy Gobert, can you do that in today's league? Can you build around a defensive big man who ha barely has an offensive game? Um can he upgrade his offense? Can he build his offensive repertoire to be at least decent on offense in this league? I don't know. But if you trade Donovan Mitchell, I think you have to trade Rudy Gobert. That's first and foremost. Also, the Bulls. Can you get Zach Levine there? Um, there uh, Chicago has been unwilling to pay him the max. Um, well, there's been reports of them unwilling to pay, him for, uh, to pay the max for Zach Levine. Is that a potential trade there? Um, that can also happen. Um, Colin Sexton uh, with Cleveland. Uh, maybe you try to get Jared Allen. Maybe there's something there. There's some avenues there that people haven't talked about, but I think are available and should be on the table. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that gets played out. Um, if you're if you're Charlotte, do you offer a P.J. Washington some picks? 
Maybe uh, is it Mikhail Bridges? You offer him up in a sign and trade. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there can be some avenues. Maybe Terry Rozier, uh, Mikhail Bridges, and uh, uh, P.J. Washington. Some variation of that. Um, is there a Bradley Bill trade there? I'm pretty sure Bradley Bill doesn't want to go to Utah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Atlanta just made everybody available besides Trey Young. Um, there's some guys there that could potentially be intriguing towards uh, uh, for Utah. Uh, maybe try to get some picks in there, get some young guys in there, and see how that plays out. There's some definitely different avenues on the table. Maybe a sign-and-trade with Dallas with Jalen Brunson. Um, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to go to Utah either, but um, for the Mavericks to put Donovan Mitchell and Luka next to each other, is that something they're going to look towards doing? Um, there's definitely some avenues there for Donovan Mitchell to get out of Utah. It's just going to be interesting to see how Utah plays this. Um, Donovan Mitchell, he did say uh, Quinn Snyder was instrumental uh, for him signing back there, and I thought that was a good uh, pairing between coach and player. Um, and unfortunately, it just hasn't been able to work out. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Quinn Snyder, again, the big news. I think Quinn, Mark Stein reported Quinn Snyder could be going to San Antonio. I think that's huge. Um, I've been always wondering about what replacement there for Popovich potentially and I think Quinn Snyder is the, the right guy. He has familiarity down there with San Antonio. Um, he has a good philosophy. He's able to coach. He's able to coach young guys, apparently, especially seeing how he coached Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert uh, to get Devontae Murray and see what they can build down there in San Antonio. That's going to be – that would be interesting to me. I think that would be awesome to see. Um, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Utah plays out. Uh, people have them in the finals. People have them as perennial uh, – uh, 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 playoff team and potentially in one off season it can go all downhill and that's 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 crazy to think of but if they're going to do this they have to tear it down get all these other guys out of there mike conley <laughs> jordan Clarkson. i'll say tear it down all the way down and and just rebuild and try to get as many assets and build through the draft that's how utah is going to have to do it i don't think anybody's going to sign in utah um and don't be afraid. Uh, uh, Memphis has built through the draft. Cleveland has built through the draft. Uh, Boston has built through the draft. So there are blueprints out there. Denver has built through the draft. There are blueprints out there that you can follow if you're a Utah team, as, as dastardly as it seems. Uh, it's going to be a couple dark seasons, but you can turn it around if you do that. Um, but it just depends on what direction they want to go, and that's going to be interesting to see. And that will do it for episode 11 of the Basketball Soapbox. Um, game 3 will be Wednesday night uh, between the Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics at the Garden, at home, in Boston. Uh, city will be rocking. Um, game 4 will be Friday night, and Game 5 will be what? What's that? Will be Monday night. So we'll see how the series comes back. Uh, we'll probably record after Game 4, after the, the home stand for the Boston Celtics. Um, also picking up on NBA news, seeing if I can pick up on any draft news. Um, but until next time, we'll be ready for episode 12. Until then, I hope everyone's doing well and see you until next time.